Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his, friend, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and soft and responsive hearts to your word, as that we would follow your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we spoke of the fact, I spoke of the fact that sometimes when the CEO comes from out of town, uh, into town to check on the business, uh, that's not necessarily a positive event. People don't necessarily uh, think that it's a good thing when the authority comes to town. And today, we're really going to be focused on, in fact, really at least the next couple of weeks, on the authority of Jesus. Why? Because that's what Our text focuses on the authority of Jesus in several ways. And how will you respond to the authority of Jesus? We've been saying, really, in some ways, we can overcomplicate the Christian life. And that is, we we say, instead, we should say, Jesus, I will follow you as I get to know who you are revealed in Scripture. Uh, I will follow you for all that you are. And uh, wherever you lead, I will go. So we're going to find a little bit more about Jesus today, who he is, his authority. And so will you follow Jesus' authority when he teaches you? Because he teaches with authority. And will you follow Jesus, trusting that he has power and authority over the demonic powers opposing you? Now, that last one, you might say, Uh, Pastor, that's not really a felt need of mine, particularly if you're maybe uh, not coming from a church context. You don't really talk much about demons, except for maybe on Halloween. Um, And so we'll, we'll address that a little bit as well. Jesus has authority in teaching, verses 21 and 22. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of time here uh, to unpack a few key words uh, because they're going to come up again in the Gospel of Mark. And I'm indebted uh, to the scholar James R. Edwards for much of this historical background. And the first is the town Capernaum. Uh, You don't have to be an expert in uh, Israel and ancient Israel and what it was like, but understand that in the south of Israel, you had Jerusalem and Judea. And in the northern part of Israel, you had Galilee. We mentioned that Jesus' ministry began in Galilee. 
Many Gentiles in Galilee, uh, much more influenced by Gentiles in the southern part of Israel. Um, And Capernaum was a town in Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee. It was along the trade route, a trade route. And so it was a a town that was well-positioned. It was a relatively wealthy town. Uh, It was predominantly Jewish, but it did have some Roman influence because there was a a small Roman garrison there in uh, Capernaum as well. And at least in one of the other Gospels, you find that uh, the Romans and the Jews in Capernaum uh, could have a quite good relationship, actually. They got along quite well. And this was probably what we might consider to be Jesus' uh, adopted hometown. This is probably where he hung out most of all. So Jesus... He goes into this thing called a synagogue. Now, what's the synagogue? Down in Jerusalem was the temple. And the temple was a place where the sacrifices could be made. The prescriptions of the law followed in terms of the ceremonial law. The priests would operate there uh, in terms of sacrifice. And the sacrifices could only happen in Jerusalem in the temple. So in the rest of Israel, in fact, the rest of areas where Jews were located in the Mediterranean, they had synagogues. Synagogues were assembly halls, in essence, assembly places where people would gather to hear the Torah, the law, the word of God from the Old Testament proclaimed and taught and read. Uh, Again, James R. Edwards uh, says of the assembly hall, Um, The only official in charge of a synagogue was the ruler of the synagogue, a position that included the responsibilities of librarian, worship committee, custodian, and perhaps school teacher. The ruler of the synagogue did not preach or expound the Torah, however, which meant that the Sabbath teaching and, excuse me, the ruler of the synagogue did not preach or expound the Torah, however, which meant that the Sabbath teaching and exposition fell to the laity, and on this occasion, Jesus. Right? Got it? So, you know, if you've ever read the Bible, the New Testament, and you, you find Jesus just kind of shows up at the synagogue and he teaches, and you think, well, what if somebody showed up to church Sunday? Would we just kind of go, oh, come on up and preach? And no, uh, that's not how it happened. That, but what would happen is the synagogue ruler would, um, would invite people to teach and to preach and to read Uh, The word of God, a synagogue could be established with 10 uh, males over the age of 13. Okay, so you had to have 10 males over the age of 13 to establish a synagogue. Then you have the word scribes. Jesus taught with authority, not as the scribes. The scribes are going to come up again and again in the book of Mark. The word scribe has to do with writing. There was this process of writing and keeping records, and in time, the word scribe came to be known as somebody who was an expert in the law. And they became very important and very esteemed in Israel, particularly after the exile, when they returned to the land, and there was a lot of Hellenistic, Greek, uh, pagan influence. The scribes held the line teaching the law, and, uh, and so, again, 
Quoting Edwards, with the growth of the synagogue, scribes became teachers of the Torah whose reputation was honored by the title rabbi, meaning my great one. Scribes were also legal jurists in the broad sense of the term. Scribe thus combined the offices of Torah professor, teacher, moralist, and civil lawyer in that order. Prestige reached legendary proportions by the first century, surpassing on occasion that of the high priest. Commoners deferred to scribes as they walked through the streets. The first, street, the first seats in the synagogues were reserved for scribes, and people rose to their feet when they entered the room. So the scribes were highly honored, highly esteemed. And it says here in Mark 1.22, And they were astonished at Jesus' teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, it wasn't that the scribes were slouches in their teaching. It wasn't that, the scri- that somehow Jesus was just a better teacher, you know, he's just more interesting. No, he taught in a different way than the scribes taught Jesus didn't quote the Jewish fathers as the scribes did. He declared authoritatively when he taught, he pronounced, this is true. Who is the authority? I am the authority, said Jesus. The scribes would refer to this uh, scholar, this writing, this, that. They, they would uh, take all of those writings together and make a declaration of what this particular passage might mean. And Jesus did not Uh, did not preach. He did not teach that way. Jesus comes. He's portrayed in Scripture as not the one who comes with maybe 80% accuracy in his teaching. He's 100% accurate. Why is that? Because he is God's son, as we found out last week. At his baptism, it was revealed. Jesus was revealed as the son of God. He didn't become the son of God at his baptism. That is, there was, from all eternity, God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Jesus was born. He took on a human nature and a human soul, never giving up his deity, never giving up his divinity that had been in existence forever. And so when Jesus Christ was present at his baptism, he was declared by the Father by God in an audible voice to be his son. So Jesus speaks authoritatively as man for God because he is both man and God. And so will you follow Jesus in his teaching, right? That's the question. How will you respond to Jesus as you learn more and more about him? Jesus is going to teach you about himself about your need for him. He's going to teach you about what to do. He's going to challenge your heart, where your heart needs to be. He will call for change. Will you follow him as your disciple when Jesus calls you to follow? Will you fail to follow his teaching perfectly? Yes. Will you fail miserably at times? Yes. But will you resolve to submit yourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ and his teaching wherever it leads you. As he lovingly, patiently leads, as he disciples you, as he disciplines you, he is a real person. And by the Spirit of God, he is active in your life.
in the life of all those who believe in Jesus Christ. Will you follow Jesus? Adele Alberg Calhoun says this about leadership and following. My experience with following indicates that it can never be, that it can be even more difficult than leading. Following requires humility, risk, attention, awareness, and guts. It means serving someone else's agenda and following her or his cues. Following requires that I let go of my own way and trail the leader. But everything in me resists trailing behind someone else, especially when I think I can make it on my own way or lead just as well. Will you take him at his word? Where do we find his word? In scripture. This is not just a dry, dusty book that you pull off the shelf. This is the word of Christ to you. Now, as you open up the word of Christ to you, there are parts that you don't understand, parts that you're trying to understand, parts that you're trying to obey, parts that you're trying to take encouragement from, and parts that you don't know yet, just as with Jesus himself. As you learn more and more about his word to you, uh, will you say, yes, I will follow where you lead as I understand your word to me. The Holy Spirit will help open your eyes and your ears and your heart. That's my prayer, right, at the beginning, that he would do that, that you would understand his word and that you would have a will to follow it and be soft and responsive to follow Jesus Christ. Secondly, Jesus had authority over the, the demonic powers. Now, for some of you, when I say that, I might as well say Jesus had power and authority over unicorns, right? You know, with demonic powers, what are you talking about? Um, and so here's the, here's the section in Mark, uh, beginning with verse 23. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So notice for the people in the day of Jesus, they didn't find it that unusual at all that there was somebody around them with multiple unclean spirits. Uh, Other places they're called uh, evil spirits or demons. And these tormented people uh, by their presence, uh, they could be possessed by or oppressed by uh, these evil spirits. And again, for some, the talk of demons sounds rather silly in our contemporary Western sensibilities. You know, our view of uh, demons is, I think, more influenced by movies such as The Exorcist back in the 70s, you know, where you've got people's heads spinning around, where they're possessed by demons. Um, interestingly enough, I, it's, you turn on cable television, you'll find lots of stuff about uh, the paranormal, so maybe it's not that strange for our society. And you have whole branches of Christianity that rather emphasize it too much. You know, any problem that you have in your life is the the demon of this or the demon of that, the demon of cancer, the demon of stubbing your toe or the demon of I lost my wallet or whatever, right? And so uh, it can be taken too far. And yet the Bible presents an an unseen spiritual reality that includes the presence of 
of evil spirits or demons. And the work of Satan will manifest itself differently in different times and different places with different people. I had a missions professor in seminary named Dr. Paul Long. Dr. Long went to Africa as a young missionary. I'm assuming it was probably in the 60s. And um, he was in the Belgian Congo. He was in other places. And uh, it was interesting to hear him tell his missionary stories, uh, fascinating, sometimes hair-raising. And here, here was a sophisticated, seminary-trained Western uh, missionary who went uh, thinking that everything that was going on with the witch doctors in these villages was all a matter of either superstition or, you know, the witch doctor slipping something into somebody's drink or whatever. And some of that went on, he said, but... He also found that there were things that were obviously uh, the work of some other spiritual entity involved. One example, he uh, wanted to preach in a village that he had never preached in before. And he, uh, as he walked into the village, he couldn't speak. And so he walked outside of the village, he could speak. Well, that's a problem for a preacher. You know, you need your Bible and you need to be able to preach. Uh, you need to speak. And so he said to somebody from the village that was with him, he said, is there a place in the village where um, the Bible was ever preached and proclaimed? And they said, yes, years and years ago, there was a a structure uh, where people would meet and somebody would come and preach and and people would gather. And uh, there was a thatched roof there and the water ran off that thatched roof. And, uh, and eroded a uh, place around it, you know, where the, where the water hit. And there's nothing there, no, no, nothing else there. And so they went to that, and when he walked into that uh, perimeter, he could speak. And when he walked outside of it, he could not speak. And he said to the, you know, Presbyterian minister wannabes in the room, he said, Uh, I didn't know what to do with that. It didn't make sense to me. I'm not really sure how I can explain it with my theological grid, but it happened. And so he was able to preach uh, as long as he stayed within the confines of that space. There's something spiritual going on. There's some power. There's some entity involved or entities involved. C.S. Lewis, um, in his fictional work, The Screwtape Letters, uh, presents a humorous way. If you've not read it, I would encourage you to read it. A humorous way in which uh, the demonic forces could operate in our sophisticated Western world in ways that are perhaps counterintuitive. And, of course, it is fictional. It's, it's coming from the mind of C.S. Lewis. But it has to do with the fact that there's very real opposition from spiritual entities who have a a will and a plan and a way of operating in the world. Jesus Christ said this, "Let let let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil, or as the NIV translates it, the evil one. The most significant way that Satan seeks to discourage us is to discourage us from following where Jesus will lead us. And so the Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything else comes from the evil one. 
In a similar way, some of you may know this or have seen it in footnotes in your Bibles, but when you pray the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, can also be translated the evil one. It's an acknowledgement that there is evil in this world and that there is an uh, entity, personality, persons that are uh, living contrary that would seek uh, to tempt you and to lead you into evil. I think of, uh, of the old, one of the old uh, Spider-Man movies. Uh, some of you who are into that, you know, Peter Parker's Aunt May, her sweet Aunt May, and she is, uh, she is praying uh, in her flannel nightgown. Uh, some of you remember this scene. I mean, to, to me, I remembered this. When I saw it, I said, this is actually kind of accurate. Uh, in some ways, she's praying, she's praying, uh, lead me not into temptation, but, and then the walls crash in and the green goblin comes, and he was scary, guys, and the, everything's blown up and on fire, and she's wounded on the ground, and he says, finish it, and she says, deliver us from evil, right? Deliver us from evil. There was an evil one in front of her taunting her to finish the prayer. Deliver us from the evil one. So whatever the technique used of the evil ones, of the demonic powers, the Bible presents a reality in which we have adversaries in this world. Again, part of what we're doing as we go through the Gospel of Mark is asking, who is Jesus? How did people respond to Jesus? How will we respond to Jesus? But we're also asking the question of what is reality? And reality is, is there is a world system, the Bible calls it the world, that is opposed to God. There is the flesh internally, that sinful nature internally that we wrestle with, that we seek to put to death that opposes God. It's not just external. We have internally rebellion against God. And the devil, the three entities, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So will you acknowledge that there are demonic powers opposing you as you would follow Jesus? And will you follow Jesus trusting that he has power and authority over those demonic powers opposing you? Again, Mark 1, 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey him. Satan opposes us. But Satan will be defeated by Jesus. Second Thessalonians 2.8 says this, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will kill, Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Satan is actively involved in discouraging us. One of the ways he discourages us is he discourages us to forgive our brothers and sisters. And he discourages us from understanding that we ourselves are forgiven. 
2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the subject of church discipline. There's a, there's a, a brother, a person in the church that has been um, sinning unrepentantly, um, has said, no, I will not turn from the sin. I will do it. It was a, it was a flagrant, it was obvious, flagrant, willful sin. We all sin. We all wrestle with sin. But this was, no, I won't change. I won't repent and so they, um, they repent, they, they disciplined him. And so there was, there was an estrangement between the church and this person. But he had come to repent. And so Paul says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, I have, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Satan would love to have us divided, not forgiving one another, bitter towards one another. Satan is also called the accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 through 11 uh, paints this dramatic picture. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives unto death. Satan is called the accuser of the brothers, who accuses us before God. Look at what he is doing. Look at what she is doing. Look at what their attitude is. How could you care for them? How could you love them? How could you? And and we know that the accuser of the brethren have been conquered through the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, paid the price. He was the ransom, as the book of Mark says, to pay the penalty of our sins. They've all been completely wiped away, and in God's eyes were forgiven for those who have faith in Jesus, the one who ransomed us. And it's interesting in this passage, you find that just because one has faith in Jesus and just because one is preserved and one does not need to be concerned by the accuser of our brothers, that they love not their lives even unto death. There were some who were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ and they continued to believe knowing that in God's eyes that nothing could separate them from God, not even death, um, and that no accusation would stand against them. And so Satan would discourage you And me, and one way he does that is through disunity, lack of forgiveness, lack of assurance that I'm forgiven for my sins. As Martin Luther, the reformer, said in his famous hymn, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. This is the real world, a world in which there are Devils. There is demonic opposition to following Christ and actually demonic opposition to humanity in general. It started with Adam. Satan loves death. He loves the death of people. 
He wishes us ill, and he's active in the world to do it. But Jesus has authority. And it's not just stated authority, it's also power. You know, if somebody is a, a, robs a bank, bank robber takes off and the police chase the bank robber, it's a high-speed chase, and they corner the bank robber, um, the police has the authority to demand that the bank robber uh, exit his car and, um, and turn himself in. But depending on how well-armed that bank robber is may determine whether or not he uh, complies with that rightful authority, right? But not Jesus. Jesus has authority and power. When he speaks, it is accomplished. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. They were amazed because Jesus not only taught with authority, but he demonstrated his authority. He had power behind his authority. And so there are forces against you, against the church, against your following of Jesus Christ, And so what's taking place in your life is not necessarily just difficulty in your life, emotional challenges, strained relationships, but behind some degree of it is a person and beings who are against you. Remember stating that not long after Hurricane Michael hit, and I noted how many churches were uh, destroyed and heavily damaged in uh, Hurricane Michael and said, you know, it could be the work that Satan, that's part of what's, what's happened here. Um, and we see the work of Satan, for instance, in the book of Job, uh, knocking down buildings. Um, and I remember one woman after the service that I preached came up, and I think she was a little concerned that maybe the, uh, the stress of the hurricane had gotten to me, uh, and I was a little, being a little bit irrational Uh, The stress of the hurricane had gotten to me, but I wasn't being irrational. I was being logical. So we know that there will be times that this takes place, that you would be discouraged from following Jesus. It's not simply circumstances, but there is premeditation by those opposed to God. And Jesus has been introduced to you as one who has power over The demonic powers. So be aware. There's going to be opposition, and being aware of that will help you follow Jesus. If you think that following Jesus in this world is going to prevent opposition, then you're going to be disappointed. We've been told what the reality is here. So follow Jesus, confident that he has power and authority over that opposition. You know, it would be nice, wouldn't it? If we knew when that was the case, you know, if it was so obvious that that when there was demonic activity, you know, somebody's head would spin in front of us. Uh, It doesn't happen that way. And we can't be sure and we can't know. But we just know from the word of God that that is a reality. And so we should not be unaware. The Apostle Paul said that we shouldn't be unaware that Satan has his plans to disrupt the unity of the church and in other ways that are far less dramatic than a spinning head he is at work.
Jesus Christ said this to Peter, recorded in Luke twenty-two thirty-one and 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. We have a Savior who is praying for us, who is concerned about us. And not only that, he has, he has accomplished victory over, over the devil. 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And earlier in 1 John, just a few verses earlier, he talks about, again, why he appeared. He appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says this, Since, you, therefore, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We have no need for fear because we know fear has no hold over us because Jesus Christ has defeated death in his death. He has paid for the penalty of sin that brings death. The wages of sin is death. And at the same time, he is accomplished victory over death through his resurrection. So we follow Jesus where he leads. And as we go farther and further in the gospel of Mark, we'll we'll know better and better who this Jesus is. He is one who has authority. He has authority in teaching. He has the authority over Satan. And how will you respond? How did the people respond Mark 1, 28, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Well, that's not the same as following, is it? We can have people that are amazed, the buzz about Jesus, amazing, never seen anything like it. It's not necessarily to follow him, though, is it? And earlier, the demons declared him what? The Holy One of God. They actually understood more accurately who Jesus was than anybody else in the story. They knew his origin. They knew who he was. But they, when the CEO came to town, were afraid of him and his authority. They were not submissive to his authority. They did not turn from rebelling against him. And so how about you? How will you respond now that you know Jesus a little better today? Will you follow him? Follow Jesus. Follow him wherever he leads you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this encouragement that Jesus is in authority. And he teaches with authority. We don't have to, we don't have to be confused or wonder uh, about what you would uh, communicate to us. That the eternal Son of God has come and put on flesh and has communicated to us. And through his Spirit has communicated to the prophets who wrote down your word. And we thank you for the word of Christ to us. And pray, Father, that we would follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, we would follow his word. And that you would help us, Father, as we every single day uh, have challenges in following the word of Christ. That we would... um, fresh every day, uh, endeavor to live for him, endeavor to live for him, knowing that he is the savior who saved us from our sins, that we, uh, that we have no legitimate accuser, 
but that we can be confident that we're delighted in by you through faith in our Savior and that we might more and more uh, trust in him and follow him and that we might be encouraged by the fact that he is active in our lives and in this world and that he has defeated Satan in defeating death and he one day will defeat him in every sense of the word at his return and that we can trust Jesus as we follow him. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a couple of minutes, we have the opportunity to be encouraged about the death of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us in the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, let's uh, sing a hymn um, that will that will highlight the, that reality as we praise God, singing the first two verses of There is a Fountain. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>